So my mission last week was to watch from beginning to end, unfortunately not the director's cut. I would have really have liked to have seen that. I'm going to have to go back. I'm going to have to watch the director's cut because the emphasis on the unicorn was lost on me, at least initially. It was felt dumbed down. In, in thinking about it now, having watched the movie again or fully for the first time, I, I get that the unicorn is this, is this recognition that the girl he is with, what's her name again? Rachel. The girl that he is with, Rachel, is unique. That she is a unicorn, that she is to be treasured and prized. And that that is even recognized by this kind of crappy cop that's with him. What's his name? Gaff? It, I mean, just shitty. Like at the very beginning, Gaff is introduced as this cop that's trying to brown nose in order to get his next promotion. But he never does anything. He does nothing promotion worthy. Occasionally he shows up in a car, you know, just after Decker gets the shit kicked out of him. But he's never really there for anything beyond that. Having you watched it again last week, right? I did. And I watched the, I watched the uh the final cut, which I think is just another name for the director's cut, but I'm not sure. Right. It would be weird if there's a director like a final cut beyond the director's cut. Like they they pulled more off of the the cl- more clippings off of the floor was like, stick more shit in. We can sell this again. What did you think of the movie? So I think I, I really wanted to be able to say like, oh, this movie was awesome. Like it's totally blew my mind. But I, I remember the first time I watched it being a little bored. Yeah. Um, it was also, I think, not the most well-rounded storytelling. It just seemed to be, I think it, there was almost like an expectation that you kind of had a lot of background in like why things were the way they were. And I'm trying to remember if they really got into what the hell, the like why the replicants were even created and like, why are they coming back? Like there were all these kind of questions that were just like, Maybe there was brought up and maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention to, but it just seemed like there was a lot of things that were just like, but why, you know, like it just, it, it, it left me asking a lot of questions, but it really seems like it was a movie that if it were made today, the exact same way. Oh wait, they just did. Yeah, they did. Huh? But uh, I actually did not seen the, the sequel. I've not either. And maybe, maybe that should be our next task. Maybe, but perhaps if I kind of thought of the movie as like this, this treasured relic that maybe I'd be like, no, I don't want to like potentially ruin my thoughts uh, or my impression of the, of the original, the, this hallowed artifact. But I think because it really wasn't this movie that blew me away, that maybe it is safe to see the sequel and see exactly how they tied it up. If, if they did it all, that's good motivation to go see it. Yeah. It it felt like, yeah, it, it felt like an over honoring, of this movie. So when I watched it last week, I was really expecting either a deep turn or some sort of nuance or angle or concept, but it was very straightforward. It was this noir detective story complete with inner dialogue. I was really expecting to, for, to hear him say, she walked into my life and into my door. She sat down and she had the perfect legs, you know, that, that kind of shit. Like, there's this crap going on, this detective crap going on in the back of his head. And it's this noir detective slash bounty hunter slash robot killer. 
And the thing that struck me were just the odd social situations that didn't make a damn fucking bit of sense. I'll give you an example. One of the replicants is a stripper and he follows her and he's, he's acting, he's talking in this creepy voice. I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm part of the organization that helps to make sure that like strippers aren't abused. And I've, I've come to get your opinion. He follows her into her apartment. She then or strips. Or a dressing room or something. Yeah. It's like, it was like a strip. Yeah, it was like a dressing room. She then strips, gets into the shower, gets out of the shower, and, and towels off all while he's talking to her. And then ends up shooting him and running or, or, or hitting him. Yeah. Was it, See, she but, tried to shoot him or hit him or... Oh, she tried to kill him. She tries to kill him and then somebody walks in. Yeah. There's like a four steps missing there. How... It just seems like it was forced conflict. Like, how did they get there? Well, how, why the why, are, how is this a day and age where a guy who is concerned about a woman, <laughs> how a guy is concerned about a woman being sexually abused because she's in the sex industry as an entertainer is then following her in in this creepy way? Did you see what I'm saying? Like some dude ogling under the guise of somebody who's against oglers and it's so painfully obvious it's 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 a weird jump in logic it's almost like well she's a entertainer and we're gonna have her half naked so he's gonna ask questions while she's taking a shower because we want the end scene to be her running half naked in plastic wrap in cellophane so that it would be really artistically cool to see the blood explode out from her back and onto the plastic wrap that she's wearing. Yeah, it's almost through, like through all the plate glass. Through the plate glass. It, it's almost as if the artistic direction superseded the logic a, a number of times. And apparently people on the street are just like, oh, this is just a regular occurrence, no big deal. Very bizarre. It, it was, it, yeah, it was just really bizarre. You, you look at the people as they're walking down the street, dressed as there are, and, and for a few moments I was like, really? That's what you chose to wear today. Like some of this shit was like weirdly intricate, yet they're walking basically in the gutters of like this back end, you know, cross between Chinatown and the ass end of like the boroughs of New York. You know, just really deep sort of, you know, back alley gutter with few cars coming through. And, you know, I'm just looking at these different characters going, those are really intricate and really ridiculous if you got up in the morning and you had to put all that shit on only to come to this place. It it, it was a weird world building movie. It was very it was very artistic. And I felt like, again, the scenes were set up to sort of express a creative direction, but not make a lot of sense. Yeah, maybe this was just a yet another example of like Ridley Scott being so into the world, but less the story. Yeah, and I wonder what maybe got cut. Like is there anything that maybe stapled this stuff together that still fell on the on the cutting room floor, which is why I now I want to watch the director's cut. I'm even more interested in the unicorn thing because that wasn't a part of the version I saw. Like evidently the version I saw was the first version. So that when that unicorn was folded at the very end, it was like, ah, dude folded some shit. He didn't kill her. That's awfully sweet. And that's where it ended for me. And Rachel had this 1920s, um, I get maybe 1920s. I don't know. It, 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 this sort of look about her with the hair. It, it felt like a detective story ripped out of the 1920s, placed into the 2020s. And while everyone else was dressed in very weird futuristic garb, 
here's a handful of characters that look like they were pulled out of a 1920s detective magazine. She she did look very different from the other characters. She looked out of place. Yeah, very much so. And maybe uh, that was the point? I I could see that, sure. You know, I, there are a couple other things that kind of bothered me in the movie. And I don't mean to like harsh on the film. But for one thing, did you notice that for robots trying to kill him, they did a really bad job of killing yes. him. Yes. Like they were really good at killing other people, you know, or manipulating that dude in the tower with the creepy <laughs> bio robotics walking around. Oh my god. Oh my god. god. That, like, could you please that th- th- that was the Sebastian guy. Right. He, yeah, what? And they all look like they hate themselves and want to die. The little, the little. Biorobotic things uh, and the like, little these nut- are my- walking nutcrackers. Yeah, these are my friends. It's like, wow, you had to create your own friends out of thin air like that. That's pretty fucked up. I would be curious to see what friends he keeps in his closet. I would not. <laughs> uh, it was just, it was an interesting turn. But for one thing, the replicants are badass like they're dangerous they're fast but they make just the weirdest decisions when trying to kill decker it's almost as like you know it's just too easy to kill decker what are we going to do well we're going to have her riding him and beating on his head to crush his head in he's going to fall to the ground she's going to get off of his body run across the hall start doing backflips towards him and then he's going to shoot her you know what that reminds me of what that scene in the, uh, uh, what is it, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the guy's like playing with the sword or whatever, getting ready to chop up Indiana Jones, and he's just like, fuck this shit, takes out his pistol and shoots the guy. Right, right, yeah. yeah. It was like that. It's like, I, I felt like the Indiana Jones one made sense. Like, like here's this, the dude would only have swords. He's in a place where people, other people have swords. Indiana Jones has a gun, says fuck this shit. Yeah, but and that he, scene was completely ad-libbed. But he wasn't. Yeah, it was because he was because he, he had, had some, he had he had the runs. He had a bad case of diarrhea and it just was not feeling it. And they just kept that shit, literally, figuratively, but literally. And, awesome. <laughs> but I, I, but he wasn't. He was being chased, but he wasn't in the midst of an attack. The equivalent would be if Sword Dude jumped on top of Indiana Jones, <laughs> was beating the shit out of him with his swords, not killing him, then walking away. Then coming back at him with swords with enough distance for him to pull out his gun and kill him. Because the next questions you're going to be is, you had him on the ground, you're beating his head in, why did you walk away? The visuals of her doing all those flips and having a stunt person do all that? I don't know. I It just, I, I, I don't, it doesn't make, it's like, he, he, he grabs his arm, pulls it through the hole, and starts snapping his fingers. Oh God, that was so hard to watch. He could have snapped his arm. He could have pulled him through the wall. You know, he, he could have killed him then, right? Yeah. Like, so many instances where he could have killed him. And I kind of liked, what were you going to say? It's kind of like in, like, James Bond movies or the movies that make fun of James Bond, where it's like, I'm going to let you stay in this room and you're going to die in five minutes because the thing's going to fall off the wall, but I'm not going to watch. Villain rules, we got to leave the room while this person attempts to leave, attempts to break out. Yeah. Uh. And then I I kind of like the ending 
which was, I don't, you know, he, he grabs his hand, pulls him up, and then they sit together while the replicant is dying in front of him. And that how, the replicant... How convenient. Well, well, I mean, we knew he was dying. He knew he was dying. But and, at, that, and, at that exact moment... It, there, that on. is kind of convenient, yes. But I kind of like the idea that he was looking to value life in that moment when he was losing his life. I was like, that's poignant. If there's anything in the movie that I could appreciate, it's this ending message of you don't know when it's going to end. And it will. But for some, they know and they want it to last longer. For others, like like Jessica. Uh, Jessica? Who's Jessica? You mean Rachel? I mean Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, played by the part. Play, Rachel, <laughs> as played by Jessica. Uh <laughs> You don't know how long she has to live. You know that all the other ones only last for four years. But he doesn't know how long Jessica has. So he's just going to save her every moment for as long as he can because she is that unicorn. He just assumes that maybe she's more special and that there isn't a limit on her life potentially. But that in the event that there is, he doesn't know when. So he's just going to value her and and whatnot for as long as possible. And I, I loved the ending of the movie in that sense. Mm. What do you think about the uh, the Gaff, or when Gaff says, it's too bad she won't live, but then again, who does? That kind of ties it all together. You yeah. Know? It's like, okay, so they, they have like a, what is it, a four-year lifespan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we have, you know, anywheres from no time at all to a uh, hundred years. Right. But we all die. Yeah. So I guess... And one of the other things I thought was really neat was kind of the the diatribe that the main replicant goes through. What 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 was his name? Roy Batty. Thanks. Now, granted, what he says is goofy. It's it's a little odd. Remind me what he says. He says, "I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark." near the Tannehauser Gate, all these moments will be lost in time, like tears and rain. And he has another quote where he says, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Well, okay, it's the same quote. I did Literally, the quote's mentioned twice. I think somebody just entered it. Like, it's actually mentioned like six or seven times under Blade Runner quotes in Rotten Tomatoes. Hmm. Okay, that's odd. But uh, that idea that, you know, you've got four years, you want more time. And He's kind of expressing in the moment, without really defining it very well, that he's seen so much. And that he not only values life, he values his experiences that are just going to be lost to him dying. And and the things that he's seen. So that, that kind of that idea of to sort of live not long, but also richly, to make the most of your limited time, and to see amazing things. And I thought that was kind of cool. I'm actually, I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes, so the cover for Blade Runner is this unicorn in the rain, in this black and white sort of picture. It's very... That's on Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. So I've, I've really got to see this this version of the movie. But I did I did like the concept of, it as, as a roundabout as it was, this idea that this replicant really values the amount of time as well as the quality of that time and and wishes he has more wants you know wants to have more goes so far as to kill his maker because he can't have more time yeah speaking of killing the maker that was a rough scene where he like puts his thumbs through his eyes and crushes his head yeah that was um yeah that's that's got to hurt it's a bit of a headache yeah yeah, yeah that's, i bet that... he didn't see that coming <laughs> <laughs> Aspirin isn't going to touch that. 
Uh, yeah, kind of nasty. And and the the video that I watched didn't go into the details. Like you just saw him kind of twitching and screaming. Like you hear screaming, but you see Roy kind of twitching with the effort of crushing his head. Uh, you see a little bit more in the director's cut. Oh, I've got to see the director's cut. Assuming that what you're presuming is being glazed over is what it actually is what I saw. But we'll see. Yeah, what I saw was glazed over. This has got 90% on, in Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Again, this is not a 90% movie in my mind. No. But maybe there's just this element of nostalgia that's attached to it. I, I just... I could see it being 90% when it came out. But if you were to now? re-poll, uh, you couldn't get 90%. Well, yeah, but Rotten Tomatoes wasn't out in the 80s. So Rotten Tomatoes is a repolling. Some is a... of it is, but like I thought like some, it's like half professional movie critics and the other half is fan reviews isn't that how it works yeah and so it kind Somewhat of weighted in. Or, yeah yeah so they could have used you know old movie critic data right mm-hmm. and they could have used old you know moviegoer data or something i don't know but it, i get, i don't remember exactly how rotten tomatoes works anymore but it, i thought it was something like that so it could still be based on some historical data it says here that that this is this is the critics consensus is 90% audience scores 91% and don't. i don't know how much of this is old because you got to keep in mind is that we're talking about 82 you know there wasn't the internet there wasn't the proliferation of of critics reviews in the 80s that that came through I mean, you may have had like microfish of newspapers where there were reviews maybe a oh, microfish 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 yes but I mean, ninety. I just I don't see it. Here's another point that kind of, when I first saw it, kind of turned me off. Was that semi-rapey scene? Oh God, that was so. Oh, that was now, I, when we talk about how people model their behaviors after heroes, after they hear thing, after they they view things seen in movies, the scene where he tries to kiss her. And she gets pissed off and walks out. He jumps ahead of her, slams the door shut, grabs her by the arms, throws her back. And then he comes at her and she twitches and he kind of holds his hands up. And then he goes in to kiss her. And then he says, I want, you know, he basically tells her what he wants her to tell him. And then that, that eventually translates into them fucking. I, I was like, how is, how is this? This is the problem. This is what kids saw when they were younger. This is how adults modeled their dating techniques in the early 80s. This idea that if you if you act forcefully, you're giving them the opportunity to do what they would otherwise not want to do. It doesn't make any sense. Like today it's it's absolutely contrary to anything that makes sense. Like what if she had been, I mean forget the fact that she's a robot. That this is how a human male approached a human female who was basically telling him no. Yeah, couldn't do that today. I don't think you could do that at any time. Well, I'm saying like I'm, you couldn't make that movie today. I think it'd be very difficult to get that screened today. Yeah, I mean, and I'm pretty sure, doesn't she slap him? Like he kisses her, she slaps him, goes to walk out the door, and he's like, oh, no, you don't, and goes there, shuts the door, because he's like, I know you want me to kiss you, and then throws her back, and then tells her, kiss me. You know, say kiss me or or say touch me, and then eventually she's like, "Touch me." He's like, "Say touch me again." You know, touch me all over. You know, like it slowly mutates into this thing where it's like, "Eh, okay." Like like somehow it's a nut that needs cracking, right? 
Like deep down inside, I know you want me. Even though you've slapped me, you've tried to storm out, and I have forcefully pushed you back and trapped you in my building. It was just, it was a fucked up scene, and you're like, you know what? You're an android, right? You can go android ape shit on him, right? You should, should be able to overpower him. She's a robot. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It's, it, it, but I mean, did that hit you as odd when you saw it? Yeah, like it was. I I don't think I I remembered that scene particularly well from the first time I watched it. Probably because I wasn't paying that much attention. I was watching this and I'm like, oh no, this isn't right. There were some really pervy, rapey moments in this that were written in, and uh, and it just just odd, just odd. You know, that's like some some shit like Harvey Weinstein would be like picking up pointers from in his youth or some bullshit. You know, if a woman tells you no and slaps you in the face, that's a sure hint that she likes you. You better shut the door before she gets out. What? That that scene, it was bothersome, but it was kind of like watching Mad Men and stepping back and going, did people really act this way and believe these things in that period of time? Yeah, and then you realize, oh, it was that way. Maybe. And you kind of you kind of realize, like, from the woman's perspective, no, I, I actually meant no. It just so happens that media and society thought this was okay, and this is the reason why women are so – tend to be so paranoid in public spaces. Like, going to a bar turns into a, you know, who do I need to avoid kind of situation. You know, who, who could potentially attack me? Whereas a guy walks in and goes, where can I get the next beer? Uh, and it's just – it's weird. So I kind of wonder if this isn't like an echo historically of where we're dealing with this modern time situation. The women are like, this is what we've dealt with our entire fucking lives. And we look at a movie like this and go, well, possibly maybe this is where this shit comes from. This is why guys think this is okay. They think that this is a mating call. And as a result, it's not. It's some machismo bullshit that ends up threatening women and, and becoming a cause for for rape. It's just, it was just very odd. Like, I had never seen this scene before. Like, I've seen bits of this movie to get the plot because I'd stop and be on HBO a bazillion times over the period of 10 years. I'd never seen this scene. And I saw this, I was like, oh, fuck. This is, this is, this is a, a bad communication to the, the social norms for males. If anybody saw this and thought this was a good thing to do, like, well, shit, if Harrison Ford's doing it, Surely that's how I get the ladies. That's some scary fucking shit. Yeah. Anyway, moving on to the <laughs> the brighter side of this movie. Did you see anything else in there that was a particular like more positive note? Um or anything. Or anything. <laughs> or anything. Was, the last bit was my largest gripe. Was was not so much that I didn't like it. I didn't like it, but I, I was more studying it, right? was more of a study than it was per se offensive. I was like, holy fuck, this is really going on. Uh, the inconsistencies were awkward, mm-hmm. but I did like the end. I, I did like how it boiled down. Like the message that you eventually boiled down to was that life in any form is precious, no matter how you love it, no matter what form it takes, that it could go at any time. And that, you know, this emphasis on enriching your life, no matter if it's the life of a, a a homicidal replicant robot, or if it's the life of a robot that didn't know she was a replicant to begin with. The, the idea of not knowing when death was going to come, therefore fill your life with value 
and value those as well, others as well, because you never know how long they're going to be around for. And I was like, that's that's a fantastically stoic philosophy that on a daily basis, you should think to yourself, who would I be right now if I lost those things and those people closest to me? And then walk out from that moment feeling much more appreciative that they're in your life in that moment. And it seems like a dark thing to do, but it's a reminder that you deserve nothing. Everything in your life is a gift, and that for the most part, this world was designed through competition to kill you. And that any joy and any pleasure and any value you get out of it is fucking icing on a death cake. Uh, I'm going to go I'm gonna go jump out my window now. <laughs> what song are you going to hum on the way down? Yeah. <laughs> But but that's that's that is the pleasure of it though. That's that is the point of appreciation is that you've truly got to lick and savor the icing from the death cake because someday you will eat the fucking cake. You minus well have the icing too. What good is what good is the cake without the icing? I don't I don't know how that translates really. But that's what I got out of the movie. I hope that makes sense. No, it makes sense. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course you can find our social media pages where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part. What did, uh, what did I miss here? Well, I wouldn't say you, you, know, you didn't really miss anything. I think you got like thematic points pretty spot on there. I was looking at it in the context of Ready Player One as a whole, and I found a lot of things that I thought were very kind of interesting, similar, kind of like, huh, what do you know? And so here's some things that I found, or at least noticed. In Blade Runner, they use the term off-world, which is used frequently in Ready Player One. Okay. Just the the world environment of Blade Runner, this kind of like very dark, gross, dirty environment. Yeah, like just reminded me of like the kind of the pictures that are painted of the of what the state of affairs are in in the book, in the Ready Player One, the the poverty, the kind of everything's kind of like dystopian. Mm-hmm. So it had a dystopian air about it. Um, there was a point in the movie where you see ostriches, kind of like uh, a little, like in, like we see uh, Joust come up in the book. So I thought that was kind of funny. Okay. Okay. Uh, there was a fifty-two minutes into the movie. When Deckard is uh, waiting for um, the stripper replicant, mm-hmm. he's standing under a sign that's a five-pointed star in a circle. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Okay. And so then, so I'm not done. I'm not done. 
So when she's showering, uh, and this is a bit of a spoiler to later. No, actually, no, never mind. It's not. When she's showering, she dries her hair in like this automatic air dryer thing. Mm -hmm. Like what Parzival does in his apartment. Oh, hey, good connection there. All right. So you think he kind of borrowed some technology? I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like it was, I mean, like it takes place just about a year and a half from right now. And that's about 20 years before the events of the book. So you never know. Okay. There's a an Atari sign in the movie, but there's a lot of advertisements in there. That's not actually all that uh, bizarre, but it is kind of interesting because Atari is having a, a rebirth right now. Mm-hmm. They're releasing a new console. I think uh, as of the time of this recording, the Indiegogo campaign starts in about uh, nine hours. You heard that one of the founders of Atari died like just died like last week. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then here's the, the, here's my final two points in the book. And by the book, I mean, ready player one, not uh, do Android's dream of of electric sheep. Parzival gets a sex doll. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, Deckard has sex with Rachel and she's a robot. Yeah. Uh, Just after the rapey scene. Yeah. Just after that. Yeah. He keeps, you know, he tells her, that he loves her. Like, I think this is at the, towards the very end, right? Right. And they barely know each other. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Which reminds me a lot of Parzival and Artemis. Yeah. They know each other, but they don't. And, you know, he has the crush on her from the very get-go. There just seems to be not much of a basis for anything except it being a crush, not love. Right, right. Yeah. So, so I was seeing all, I was looking for these parallels and, it was like, oh, what do you know? There's all this stuff. And uh, so I thought those were kind of neat. You know, I don't know if they were direct influences with you know to the book or not, but seeing a bunch of ostriches walking around was random. But, you know, a little joust never hurt no one. True, true. And it's, it's, it's interesting that, that if, you, if you had to emphasize a movie or, yeah, emphasize a movie in the book is one of the gates. And and one of the one of the the points where you put the key in to get to the gate, so it's really a sort of a challenge. That there are a lot of maybe unrelated parallels that sort of are theme strung through. So you've already mentioned all of these sort of loose ends that that kind of have not connections but themes. You know, there's no direct necessarily no direct connection to the ostriches in the movie to the ostriches and joust. However. Joust is in one, and the movie has ostriches and is part of the challenge to for for the gate. So that there are sort of themes strung, if you will. It's like common colors that are not connected. That are that's kind of a very interesting thing. That uh, that it it it, it seems like it's the similar pictures are being drawn. Maybe it's because we're so used to the pattern that is the book that now everything referenced in the book all of a sudden starting to look like the same fucking pattern. But I, I I can definitely kind of see it now having, having seen the movie. I don't remember the ostriches, but maybe that's in the extended version, you know, the, the weird version, which now I've got to fucking watch this movie just to see that shit. Yeah. And now you get to watch it and you get to watch it again. But I think it was, it was one of the scenes. I think there was, there was a few of them where, like you're in that kind of like really dense, overpopulated Chinatown alley area. I think it's it's right. It's I think it's somewhere bef- it's somewhere between uh, when he's doing the photo scanning and not eating corn chips. By the way, it's between okay. that. It's between that point 
And when he's waiting to meet, uh, I think her name is uh, Zora. Jessica? No, oh, Zora, Zora, the the, um, the stripper one, Snake Lady. Got it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It, again, it's it's an interesting movie. It's interesting for its time. I don't think it's very unique for its time. Like what I was really expecting when I went online and I cross-referenced this with other movies during that period of time that came out in 1982. What I was kind of expecting, maybe hoping for, was movies that were far less, both technically and visually. Like maybe somehow this movie broke a mold at the time that it's easier for me to take advantage of now. But I'm looking at movies in 1982. We're talking E.T., the extraterrestrial. We're talking about the thing. You know, like the, the thing is in like, in the North Pole, or maybe it's the South fucking Pole, but the monster that sprouts out from the blood. We're talking Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan. We're talking Tron. A lot of these movies, I felt, excelled both technically, visually, and story-wise. And some of these are classics in and of their own right. Like E.T., obvious classic. Wrath of Khan... Also classic Tron classic. So how so, did the, how did these rate on tomatoes? Well, let's see. <sighs> ET was a ninety eight. Okay, so better than Blade Runner. All right, how about the thing? Poltergeist was an eighty six. Well, what? Poltergeist? You said Poltergeist came out. I did. It was in the lineup. Maybe a hmm. Uh, I see an eighty three from the Raiders, ninety two by the audience score. Really, Poltergeist was eighty six. Hold on a second. No, like I'm it showing got the an original Poltergeist. The original Poltergeist was 82. In 1982, I'm saying it got an 86 on the tomato meter. <sighs> My bad. I'm sorry. I thought you meant the year. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, it was done in 86. What? Uh, Star Trek Wrath of Khan got an 88. It got an 88 from the critics and a 90 from the audience score. I'll be honest with you. That movie kind of freaked my shit out with the little bug in his ears. Oh, Lord. that that As a kid, that creeped my crap right out. I have, I think I saw this many, many, many years ago, but I, I need to rewatch it because I don't really remember it. I did watch the Kobayashi Maru scene for the previous chapter, though. I'm looking up Tron 1982. Tron, Tron got a 70 from the critics and a 69 from the audience. That's interesting. So Tron definitely rated lower by 20 points. Uh, and granted, again, this is all very recent, and it's, it's hard to tell how these sorts of things get valued over time. Because even Tron had a followed-up movie that, yeah. <laughs> that, I and, actually, I went to see that in the theater with friends. Oh, you spent money on that. I know, it wasn't really a smart idea. But that was back in my, in my more frequently movie-going days. Totally get that. So, it, it's I guess it's unfair to, to, to say, because a lot of these movies really did get rated higher. Except for Tron. Uh I, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. I'd be curious to know how how they did monetarily versus how much they spent for that period of time. Because it sounds like it kind of bombed initially or maybe just didn't do very well. And then over time, it picked up this sort of mutated cult classic following that, that had a deeper meaning. It's kind of like if they brought M. Night Shyamalan on board and then he left halfway through and they couldn't quite get the turn because I never picked up that... Decker might be a replicant and that if that was always the intention, they should have left that in and maybe should have focused on it. Like that would have been a great turn that they did not focus in. It would have been awesome if rather than 
Roy pulling him to the top of the building after snapping his fucking fingers and telling him about all of his life if Roy had in turn started asking Decker questions and then, you know, disclosed to Decker that he was a replicant in in sort of a very subtle way just before dying. And then to have this love affair with another replicant as just coming to realize you're replicant yourself after having thinking you're a human told a replicant that they were a replicant and them not reacting very well. This sort of self-realization that life is even now way more precious because you're on the time ticker and maybe you don't know how much time you've got. You see what I'm getting at? Like that could have gone in so many cool directions if that was the true intention, but it wasn't. Or, Or if it was, it really wasn't laid out well. And I would have loved that kind of movie you know, a replicate connecting to a replicate, not knowing why. Because isn't it weird, you know, that he's falling in love with the robot? He knows it's a robot. He knows it's a replicate. And who cares if it can express feelings a little bit better? Because let's face it, she wasn't expressing a lot of feelings, you know, but that his hook to her was the fact that he himself was an advanced replicate. I, I don't know. That, that to me would have made a cooler movie, a more interesting turn. Yeah, I, I would say that Knowing what I know, the original release versus the director's cut, final cut, whatever you call it. And the fact that the intent is that you're at least asking the question, well, is he a replicant or not, makes it a better movie than if it didn't have that. Yeah, and I could see that. I could totally see that it would have been a better movie for me if that question had come up, if that, that had even been hinted at in any way. But the original version, the version that I saw was the original version. It didn't have a lot of shit that would have made that more apparent. Well, now you get to watch this uh, mediocre movie one more time. <laughs> I, I wonder if I wonder if the movie was kind of retconned in order to accommodate those who are coming up with these really clever conspiracy theories. Hmm. You know, because sometimes that'll happen. Like, they'll come back and go, hey, is this really the case? We got some ideas. And then they go back and go, uh... Yeah. And then they go back to the cutting room floor and like, hey, we could resell this fucking a movie in a completely different way. What can we piece together to make this seem more like what they want? Oh, yeah. Here you go. Here's the director's cut. You know, here's the uncut cut. <laughs> Anyhow. Here, all right. Here's the really good version. Here's the, here's the, here's the secret sauce. All right. We'll wrap it up. This, is, this has been the Patreon follow-up special edition. First time. For our Patreon peeps. Woohoo. Thank you all for being our patrons. Our Patreon yes. patrons are Thank you for being thank you for being a part of the the get to the good part team. Because you guys are a part of the team. You you throw the questions and you know you put stuff out there and you follow up after we've talked about stuff about, you know, who your favorite robot is or or your experiences with with different 80s and 90s pop culture lore. And we do read that. We do pick up on it. We're trying to expand our Patreon team. We're going to go more from from this idea of of simply tipping us for doing a good job to building our back-end Patreon team of Gunters. And, And this is the first step in providing additional material outside of the book for for those that are really, you know, Gunter driven. To, to dig into the meta, the, the true Easter eggs of the lore that we're talking about. So this has been the Get to the Good Part special edition for our Patreon peeps. And uh, we will catch you next episode. 
I'm looking at movies in 1982. We're talking E.T., the extraterrestrial. I almost said testicles. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) (laughs) E.T., the extraterrestrial. He looks like a fucking testicle with a neck. You know, he look. He looks like he looks like some dropped scrotum, a glowy <laughs> dropped drops. scrotum with arms, and a penis on a stick. <laughs> Please cut this tell out. Me, <laughs> tell me, his head does not look like a penis on a pole. Seriously, I mean, a little square, but still, it's a scrotum with a penis on a pole. Uh, <laughs> oh God. 